This episode of No Meat Athlete Radio is brought to you by Health IQ, the life insurance company that advocates for the vegan and health conscious lifestyles. That's right, Health IQ rewards us for our lifestyle choices. Head over to healthiq.com slash no meat to learn more about all sorts of ways you can save money on life insurance. Hi, this is Hope. This is Kareem. Hi, this is Katie from Washington, D.C., and you're listening to No Meat Athlete Radio. Matt, we have company in the room today. This is, this is I think it's the one of the first times that we're doing uh, three people in the same room that isn't a family member. <laughs> we, we did uh, Sid Garza Hillman one time. Oh yeah, we, we did do we did do Sid. That's right. Yeah, we got we got Robert Robert here. We do. We have the the illustrious Robert Cheek, vegan bodybuilder, world's most recognized vegan bodybuilder. I'm not sure how relevant or how accurate that statement is today, but uh, certainly what time it was. And I'm standing here straddling the end of. The table, <laughs> yeah. Yes, the, uh, uh, it's been fun. We, we've we've hosted Robert in our home the past few days. Been good to catch up. We've known each other forever, not forever, but for almost as long as I've done No Meat Athlete. I realized that the day I went first to see Robert Cheek speak was the day that I met you, Doug. The day that you came up and uh, oh, at the DC parking lot oh, stalking wow. thing, yeah. I had the oh. Abraham Lincoln beard. Do you remember it? <laughs> I, you know, I don't think I saw you speak then. I, you know, I was very new to the uh, the whole scene at that at that time, and uh, really was was going to chase down that was <laughs> one of the big reasons I went. Yeah. <laughs> and he did. And I did. did and, exactly and the rest that. is history. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, uh, Robert, Robert, you did uh, well. We did a book signing on Saturday yes, together with Stephanie Romine, who's the co-author of the No Meat Athlete Cookbook. We did that uh, as part of the. Asheville Vegan Fest festivities, Asheville Vegan festivities. We signed books, uh, had some lunch from Plant, and then you did the you did the Vegan Fest proper yesterday with the, with your booth and all that. Yeah, uh, good time had by all. Lots of what was cool about that. It's grown so much that that festival. And when we went there, I think two years ago, there was one food truck, and this year there were like six and all different vendors, all kinds of really good stuff. No Evil Foods, the the local. Uh, you know, whatever they called fake meat company. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were doing a barbecue sandwich yesterday, like a shredded pork style oh, barbecue. Nice. Which I totally forgot about. I knew they were doing it, and I was going just for, not just for that, but for that. And uh, I got these tacos instead, and they were really good. But I was just so mad when I saw it. I was stuffed, and I just couldn't eat it. And I, I almost did, but I didn't. So anyway, <laughs> didn't do it. But very good, great food, and uh, a very, very good. You guys said you did awesome at the event. It, right? it was, yeah, it was fantastic. And I was going to say you would have had to been early for that no evil foods. I heard they they sold out uh, halfway through. It was so ah, busy. Okay. Hmm. I think they I think they exceeded expectations for their audience. It certainly looked like it was. 10,000 people or so, which is what they were expecting. And it was one of our best shows of the year. Wow. I mean, a great vegan athlete following there. Bumped into a bunch of old friends. Met up with a bunch of people from the entire South, I guess. I mean, Georgia, South Carolina, North Carolina, Tennessee. People we see on tour in other cities. Or people we haven't seen in a long time. It was mm-hmm. uh, it, it, it was hopping. Yeah, it, it was. was. Good. They, had, they had a bunch of speakers yesterday, including Josh Lajani, who yeah, you know him. You guys, you guys. We, yeah, we do. We're both part of the Engine Two speaker right. series, He'll be there. and yeah. we met up at the Sedona Veg Fest, okay. out in Arizona in so January, you know. and talked to him briefly uh, the last two days actually. Saw mm-hmm. him both at our book signing, which you completely sold out of books, by the way. Well done. Yeah, shocker. <laughs> there were no books available, and, uh, <laughs> and very few. And uh, then I saw him yesterday as well. 
Good. Well, yeah, he's uh, he. I don't know him all that well, but we've we've connected a few times, and uh, I did bump into him yesterday for a few minutes, and uh, that was good, among many other things. So, cool. And then we went to plant for dinner last night, which was you had plant for awesome. lunch and dinner. Plant plant for lunch at the book signing the day before. Oh, I plant see. for dinner yesterday, uh, which was delicious as always. Oh, and it's apropos. I mean, no meat athlete runs on plants, so uh, to be fueled by plant that's consecutive right. yeah. days. Oh yeah, you I should do like it, some sort of partner with eats them, at yeah. plant. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yes. No, the real question is, though, how many people saw you and asked where I was? Lots of them, right? I mean, just there were hordes. A, there were a few people asked, said that they listened to the podcast. Someone said that our podcast was her number one on her list. Ah, the only, well, that's good. You know, that is good. Yeah, thanks for saying that, Karen. That was awesome. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a little local shout out, a little feel good, pat on the back. But I don't know if anybody mentioned you, Doug. They should have. Yeah. Gotta, they should have. Your name Come on, there. guys. Yeah. <laughs> and that was a reference to Karen, my fiance, who's here in Asheville as well. She's just in the next room. Yes, she is. And she actually rocked. She rocked our booth yesterday. I mean, I'm the guy out there doing the smiling thumbs up, taking pictures and all that. But she she really runs our booth. So uh, huge props to Karen. And uh, she does a phenomenal job. So couldn't Take do care. it without her. Absolutely couldn't do it without her. Awesome. So um, we don't know what we're going to talk about today. We think we're going to pick up a little bit where we left off last time, which for those who know, Robert, you've been on our podcast probably, it's probably your fourth appearance, I bet. Yeah, certainly third or fourth. Yeah. So first few times we, we did more kind of practical oh, it is tips. Fourth. Yeah. Yeah. We did, we did some practical tips um, once about motivation, I think, then once about kind of whole food nutrition for just general fitness uh, when Shreddit came out, which is your book. Last time, though, we talked a little bit about your upcoming book. Uh, which has a name now, right? Yeah. Plant-based muscle, I think. Yeah, exactly. Plant-based muscle. And you left off with kind of a joke because I, I mean, we filmed, <laughs> it seemed like a year ago and I said, yeah, I'll be out in a few months. And you're like, yeah, so you mean so the end of 2018, 2018 or something <laughs> like that? Yeah. Which is now almost the direction Not that it funny. is. <laughs> which is, happens all the time, right? Like, and yes, that was a joke, but it was a joke because it, it it happens. Like even when you recognize that happens, that force exists, that stuff takes way longer than you think it's going to, it still does, right? Like you can't. I think I think humans are just terrible. And that's why every project that that a contractor estimates takes longer than it than it should, right? I mean, obviously they're they're bidding for the job, and there's maybe incentive to quote something earlier. But I think that there's just some sort of human thing that we're really bad at anticipating how long something will take us. Well, I think we, with books specifically, we underestimate how much time it takes to get it as perfect as we want it. Because when, when a book is out there, it's, it's out there. It's out there open for uh, skepticism, criticism, reviews, positive or negative, uh, feedback. Um, and it's somewhat of a permanent thing. You can obviously have revisions and volume two, volume three, volume four, and updates and all of that. But... I think the idea behind it is that you want it to be the best you can the day it goes out. And every day you think of new ways to make it slightly better. Right. And that's whether you get an endorsement from someone like you or, or um, some other influencer or celebrity or whatever that's going to help it actually reach people. Or you discover a new concept because you watch the new Dr. Greger video and you're like, oh, I didn't think about that. Mm -hmm. And that makes a lot of sense. And even right now, I, I thought of a brand new concept that I think would be really helpful to the readers regarding grocery shopping and, and specifically locating certain foods that should be in, widely included in their regular shopping cart. And uh, that's not in the book yet, but I think I might try to sneak that in there right at the end. 
Yeah, and, and so for you, someone who has put out finished work before, Seth Godin, who's a guy who I look up to a lot, calls it shipping your work. Right? You've shipped work before. You've put out, you've published books yourself. Uh, I wouldn't be so worried then. Like, there are these delays that we know are just going to happen. It's just how it goes. Uh, but I think for a lot of people, what this is, is kind of a way of hiding. It's a procrastination thing. It's this thing that says it's never quite good enough, basically because I'm scared that if I put it out now, I'm going to be criticized. And I'm, you know, and so it turns into this way of hiding, this way of putting things off that you just forever indefinitely say, one day this is going to be done and good enough, but then it never is. Like like when I, a good example is podcasts. When people, I've talked to probably six to 10 people about the idea of them doing a podcast, just friends or whatever. Uh, we talk about what episodes they might do. I tell them everything I've learned about how to do this. And they want to have all these episodes done before they begin. They say, well, I probably should have six episodes kind of in the, in the hopper ready to go, right, when I launch. And I'm like, no, you should record one episode and put it out there because that's probably the hardest part is publishing that very first one and then doing it again and again. And we've, we've joked before about how the, the average podcast we think probably lasts about 1.23 episodes maybe. Right, right. It just doesn't, it just doesn't get anywhere. People will start, but compared to the number that, that are conceived in someone's head and never actually are recorded even one time. Uh, I think that's even a large number. The, you know, one point, it's just so many people want to do something even maybe kind of begin the process of doing it, but then it just turns into this nightmare project that never gets anywhere because it's just this, this all these new things come up. And then it turns into, I got to take this course first. I have to do this research first. I need to read this book for it. All these things happen because they're all really way, way less scary than hitting record and then hitting publish. Sure. And I think, uh, we, a lot of us have great ideas or what we think are great ideas, but to censor uh, Gary Vaynerchuk a little bit. Uh, he says, you know, ideas are garbage. You know, usually <laughs> use a different word there, but ideas are garbage. It's execution of those ideas that is the main thing. That we just sit on things all the time. We have these great, these things that could help other people, could inspire other people, it could better our own situations, better our own interests, follow our own passions, um, enhance our careers, do all these things, and we just, we just keep them as ideas, and we never see them to fruition. We never see them executed or, or realized and and I think it goes well beyond obviously goes well beyond books um, it, it goes I'm not ready to enter marathon I'm not ready mm -hmm. for my first 5k you know let's wait till next year New Year's resolutions you know really 2018 that's my year uh, I'm not ready to get on the bodybuilding stage I mean these are things we think about in all aspects of, of life I think and it's, I think when you just finally decide to jump off, like I did my first, I kept putting off my first bodybuilding competition. Oh, I gotta be perfect. Gotta be perfect. Gotta be perfect. I finally did. And I got, I think fourth out of seven, but the very next competition, I, I think of the very next one, I won first place mm -hmm. and, and that built confidence that, wow, this is fun. I want to do this. I, I do have some sort of impact or influence. This tells a good story. This helps activism and outreach and brand and career. And then I just kept going with it. And I had the same real quickly with Derek tree size when he first got into it he's a great vegan bodybuilder now so hesitant to try like he wasn't going to do it wasn't going to do it I encouraged him to do it he ended up competing and he got third place out of three he got last place he called me up it was a little bummed I just said just keep after it. go back go back out there 
he, I think his very next one, he won, and then he won again, and then he won again, then he turned professional, and it's that kind of thing. You just got to find the confidence to get started and say, you know, I'm good enough today. Yeah, and, and I was going to try to, I wouldn't need to wrap this up yet, but like, what, like bring this home to what is, so what's the point? Like, what, what, what can people do? How, do? how do you make this actionable and actually be less, less uh, likely to put something off forever? And I don't really know what the answer is. The best I could think of is in hearing stories like that, being able to see, since they're not you and, and it's not this big fear in your head, seeing how Derek's finishing third in that might have hurt him a little bit, uh, but mostly was just a stepping stone to the next thing. Like, because he did that, he got experience doing that, right? And he did everything it took to get ready for competition. And that's just a huge leg up over the, the previous version of him that had no experience, no anything. It just, so I think it's such a cliche to say, like, you know, just look at your failures as a learning experience. But for me, that has, in a lot of the Nomi work we do, like, it's turned into more like, just let's just put up this page as soon as we have a version of it. And it used to be that I'd say like, hey, Doug, you know, help me make this page and then let's wait till I review it before we publish it. Nowadays, it's like, let's just publish it. And, and that will be my motivation to get in there and make sure it is good the way I want it. But the fact is it's already up and happening. The other thing that happens is you get feedback from that stuff. So to go back to the podcast example, like some people might think it'd be cool if they could make a whole year's worth of their podcast up front. And some people will try to do that. Uh, the problem is you probably make a whole year's worth of really terrible, crappy podcasts right. because you're not any good at it when you haven't heard the feedback and you haven't mm-hmm. seen what works and what doesn't work. And, you know, you just you just don't... There's nothing like just doing it, kind of throwing yourself into that fire to sort of start to get better at it. So I think uh, just so much of it is about is about iterating, starting seeing what works and what doesn't work and then improving. And I think that's so like, if you did that, then you can be pretty good after a year. If you just make your whole year up front, you're probably not going to get any better. Well, and also on this topic, I was going to use the same word cliche. It's also cliche to say, but I think also relevant to say, you know what? I'm not going to let a lot of this fear of other people's opinions stop me or slow me down. Like you get up on stage as a bodybuilder. Oh, this guy's not any good. Um, he, he probably shouldn't do this sport. Um, or you finally get your book done. And and again, not necessarily worrying about some of the super negative feedback. Of course, critical feedback is helpful or mm-hmm. constructive feedback is helpful. But within this context of I've been on tour for quite a while now. But I ever since I retired from competitive bodybuilding, I've been nervous or had anxiety about basically making these public appearances at all these tours that I go. We talked about this before the Asheville VegFest. But that's my fear, right? That's my reality in my head is that, oh, I don't look as good as I used to be. I'm not as muscular as I used to be. And even though I was in great shape just a couple weeks ago, I had this tweak in my back or I've been traveling, I've been stressed. But the reality is most people don't seem to care. They come by the booth and they're happy to see you and they, you know, they, they thank you for all the work you've done. They flex in a photo with you. And this, then this fear is totally gone away. And like, wow, that was an amazing experience that I almost didn't go. I didn't accept the invitation to go speak there. Right. I, I, no way I'm going to make the trip to the UK veg fest where all these great vegan bodybuilders in the UK are that are going to tower over me. It didn't matter. I had packed rooms, standing room only, and people were happy to see me there. And, and so that's just my, one of my solutions or, uh, 
wrapping this up is saying sometimes we just have to clear that out that that fear of other people's perceptions and that we're kind of uh projecting that out onto them what we think they're going to think of us and they right. don't think that right. way at all they're like wow this guy or this woman or whoever is someone i woke up to and it's it's, it's great to see them and i'm so glad they're here yeah yeah, I think that's another one of the things where it's like, okay, so that's that's the message is don't care so much about what other people think, but then how do you actually do that? Like, how do you make yourself stop caring what other people think? And there's always going to be that one person who is critical, or, you know, who does say yeah, something, right, and right. Uh, you know, and and you're going to get that in your head, and you're going to replay it over and over, you know, yeah. that bad review or a comment on a blog post or whatever that is just you know some jackass that's you know had for some reason feels like they need to do that. Uh, and it's so hard to let that go. And, and you can, it's easy to say, you know, just let it go and move on. But in reality, right, it's a lot harder right. to do that. And it, and it probably, again, comes back to like the answer for how do you get, how do you stop caring what other people think is probably just start experiencing some negative criticism. And then eventually right. it just stops hurting. I mean, it never quite stops. But I, Robert and I were talking about this yesterday at, at Plant. Uh, I forget wh- how, how, we, how it came up, but I remembered that in like, 2010 2011 probably he robert you got something on yahoo there's some sort of yahoo article about you or vegan bodybuilders but you were kind of the main central thing in it central focus of the article and of course because it was yahoo same thing happens now when i if i do a huffington post thing or something you just get trashed in the comments i mean there's people just you know it's just this mainstream audience who just like veganism's last thing on they don't care about that they don't like that and it shows up in their Yahoo news feed or whatever, and that's an intrusion to them, and they're they're it's an attack, and they're angry. So I remember seeing this about you, and I of course went to all those comments, read what everybody had to say, because I was like, that's where my mind was. I wanted to see what the response was. And then when we next talked, for whatever reason, we talked about the Yahoo thing. I was like, man, did you did you like check out some of those comments on there? And you just like totally dismissed it. You're like, oh yeah, of course. Like I mean, I don't, I don't read that stuff. Like you just can't pay attention to that. Like no no one eats this way like we do and it's that's what happens um but i remember then like i just didn't know how you would do that like how would you not just go to those comments and read those over and over uh but now whatever five six years later like i'm the same way just don't you you just you just know that happens and you don't even i don't even have the curiosity to see it anymore i just and it's not like most of our stuff of course gets trash like mostly it's very nice positive people nowadays but I do know that if something, if a, if a mainstream sort of thing like that, where there's going to be a lot of exposure to non-vegans, that's going to happen. And I, you just, I just don't care anymore. Like, I just don't, I don't know. And I don't, I don't read Amazon reviews or podcast reviews as much as I really appreciate them, appreciate the good ones, appreciate that people leave them at all. Uh, I just, I've just learned that I just don't, don't read them. I'm much better to have someone read that for me and then kind of distill it down to me so that I don't have direct quotes and direct names in my head when I'm next trying to do my best work. Cause it's, cause like you said, Doug, the bad ones are going to stick in your head. The good ones are nice to read for a few minutes, but then you'll forget about them. But that one bad one out of a hundred, you know, good ones, is going to be the one that you just, it's going to be affecting your work the next time you try to do it. Yeah. So I think, I think the best way you can get used to it is just, again, that's another reason to just start and start doing it because you're going to get it. And, and that's how you start to get used to it. And another one, uh, Doug, you were asking, so how do you really do it? How do you really, in, in reality, how do you not let it bother you? Uh, stand-up comedy. Uh, doing stand-up comedy will it will make you so accustomed to criticism or yeah. booze or unappreciation that then you can do anything. Have you and done I, that? I did, yeah. I did stand-up in. Um, maybe some of my jokes fell flat today. Uh, <laughs> or, 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 or we haven't got there yet, but there'll be a few puns. Don't worry about it. Um, stay tuned, folks. 
uh, I did some stand-up comedy and it actually helped my presentations dramatically. Now I incorporate comedy in all my talks and I'm much more comfortable. But that was one of the things that I, I had to do to let my guard down a little bit and be more open to criticism because how do you do that in the world, real world? How do you feel okay with your work being criticized negatively or in the public eye? Well, um, when you're standing on a stage alone in front of a whole bunch of people who don't appreciate what you're doing, you know, they don't laugh at your jokes or they even boo or, you know, yell, yeah, right. When you're telling a story, you know, uh, then you, I mean, that's just one little way to, in the real sure. world that makes you, uh, almost immune to that kind of stuff and, and just focus on the positive stuff to move forward. Yeah. But, but what you're saying really is, is to put yourself out there and you have to just, you have to just do it. You have to expose yourself to the opportunity to receive negative feedback, to, you know, to then start getting used to it. That's also a good example of the stand-up comedy thing because, like, when what I didn't ever understand about or what I used to think that comics did was sit in their room and write their routine and just keep tweaking and tweaking and write it, and then it was perfect, and then finally they're ready for the big stage HBO special or whatever, and they just go up <laughs> there and do it. It's that they, they go to these awful clubs where nobody is, and they perform, they do a tour, and they're sometimes performing to one person or three people. Yeah. Which just seems like the most awkward thing you could possibly do to have to stand up there and tell jokes to three people. But like <laughs> that's how they perfect it. There's there's no waiting until it's ready. You just start with whatever you've got and you know that like they treat that small club tour as their proving ground for new jokes and like that's where the material is formed and how it comes to life. And then you only see the, the this final polished thing. But they didn't sit in their room making that up. That came from just starting and, and getting the feedback and getting the criticism and all that and then making it better. Yeah. Good. So that's enough for that topic. <laughs> Next. So where I, where I kind of originally thought we were going to go with this conversation, Robert, was continuing a little bit our last one, uh, which was different from the other because it wasn't about tips about how to get in shape or do whatever. It was about, um, I guess, kind of these issues, but a little bit maybe more, per not, not so much about like creating stuff and putting yourself out in the world, um, but sort of being, I guess, authentic is maybe one way of seeing it. Being transparent um, and being okay with not being perfect or being okay with not being seen as perfect. Because uh, what one of the things we, we talked about was around, around diet and the way that both of us had, like, it was kind of easy, given what we do for our jobs, it's sort of easy to first of all, try to hold yourself to a really high standard and say, I need to eat this. And for me, it was, I have to eat hundred percent oil free because that's, that's what I'm, you know, advertising that I am doing. And this was a year and a half, two years ago. Um, so I need to do that. And I think it's the best thing. So I need to be an example of someone and show people that you can do that and make it work. And then once what I was saying in this interview that we did last time was that once I kind of eased up on that and just let myself be a little bit and like not beat myself up over it, say like, wow, I'm eating plant-based diet like it's already so healthy it's probably okay if i have the teaspoon or the tablespoon of oil per day that even half the vegan doctors would say is totally fine and healthy it's just half this other group that says it's not and i thought that or at least what i said in the episode was that i thought that kind of loosening up was helping me like even sleep better like i was just felt like i was kind of whole again like just not having so much pressure around this food situation and robert you had said that you had uh, some similar stuff going on as soon as you kind of like let yourself, you know, be okay with when you're on the road eating in a way that's not perfect and being honest about that when you talk to people. 
So yeah. that was that was a lot of what we talked about. But then once once it was once the microphones were off, um, we talked a little bit more. And I think so you you had talked about in that interview that that one of your new goals now that you were kind of like through with your competitive bodybuilding days, one of your new goals was uh, be a New York Times bestselling author. That you wanted to be a big time author. I think you called that like the the major leagues of the of the author world, which which I think it is. Yeah. Um, and what I shared with you after we were done, because I wasn't quite ready to share this type of thing yet, was that I had like totally gotten rid of those types of goals. Like I had the exact same things in my head. They were they were there. Just this sort of personal significance, to use the Tony Robbins phrase, is significance for that kind of stuff. And I basically got to the point where I was that that mindset, that orientation around significance, and I wanted to, you know, know that I was meaningful and mattered and made a difference, and kind of felt like I had to do all that in order to eventually sort of feel approved or loved or whatever. And I kind of, you know, I did a bunch of reading, probably went too far with some of this stuff. Um, but I made this decision that, you know what, I, this mindset is bringing me enough pain that I'm not going to care about this anymore. I'm just not going to do it. I'm going I'm to be about loving my family and enjoying every day and having fun. And I don't care about any sort of recognition or anything. So I told you that all that had kind of also been going through my mind and that maybe that was the reason that I was starting to feel like I was sleeping better and just happier than ever and enjoy myself more than ever. Um, but as I have told Doug on the podcast not that long ago, once, so I, I had kind of really sworn that stuff off. I was like, I just don't care about that. I don't care what happens with this new book. Like, of course I wanted to reach as many people as possible, but I'm not going to get wrapped up in other people telling me it's it's good. Like, I know it's good and I, I want people to see it, but I don't care about recognition or anything like that. Well, as soon as this Sports Illustrated article came, which is a great form of recognition, it said top seven health and wellness books of 2017 immediately my mind was like this could be a bestseller like this might be the thing and all that stuff was it was like it all just flooded back into my head and i just went back into that mode it was a little different because i recognized that it was happening so that was a progress right this sort of self-awareness definitely lets you view all that through a different lens if you're just at least seeing what's happening um but that was the reason that once the book ran out of stock which was seemed like it was awesome, right? Because it was all working so well. It was like, wow, this is really going to be it. And then the out-of-stock situation hits, which I, I guess anyone new listening wouldn't know, but the, the book went went out of stock on the day that it came out. Uh, now we're about three weeks later, I think, and it is still not back in stock in Amazon and Barnes & Noble. should be this week. Um, but that was just, it just sent me into this, like, terrible stress situation like I've never felt before. So the past two, three weeks for me have been just different, very, very strange world that i'm living it's just like a different amount of stress than i've ever felt and I've, I've taken a lot of steps to to you know fight that stress and it's been really good and i'm at the point again now where like funny right before it comes back in stock where i'm kind of like finally over it and i don't i'm not wrapped up in that anymore um but anyway i just wanted to connect this conversation to that one in that way and i know you've still got some some you know a lot of the same thoughts and concerns and fears around uh the whole idea of like this, just the train, the changing landscape of the vegan movement, vegan athlete movement, vegan bodybuilding movement, uh, and where your role is in that, right? You used, as we said in the beginning of this conversation, you used to be without a doubt the world's most recognized vegan bodybuilder, right? You were the only vegan bodybuilder, the only relevant most... one, yeah, for for <laughs> right for quite a while because no, people just didn't know that you could be a vegan bodybuilder. You were the one who had a book out about it, and you were the guy who did that. You've all that work has given rise to dozens or hundreds of really good vegan bodybuilders, some of which now are 50 pounds heavier than you, right? And and just, you know, and, and Instagram celebrities and all that. 
and you've seen your role kind of change in that movement and have dealt with a lot of these same issues around like significance and mattering and being meaningful. So anyway, I don't want to just have that conversation again, but as kind of a connecting point, um, I don't know. And, and is there anything new there? I mean, what's new with me is that, that whole book situation and just sort of recognizing this, the challenges of this thing. It's not that easy just to say I'm done with caring about that. Um, but again, I kind of witnessed like the impact of that mindset on my life and how suddenly my life was not fun anymore because I was so wrapped up and stressed around that. So anyway. Yeah, I, I think some of the, the main things that I was communicating last time around, I, I can even, I remember even some of the expressions that I was trying so hard to live the shredded lifestyle perfectly that even in the public eye, I didn't want anyone to see me eating outside of that plan or doing anything outside of that plan, even if it meant... I was at conferences, they were all day, and I'd still be in the hotel gym at one o'clock in the morning busting out my workout so people could walk by at the animal rights conference and see me and see how dedicated I was when maybe it was better for my rest and stress to not do it, but I had to live up to some expectations. And and that I mentioned last time that it was helpful to see guys like Dr. T. Colin Campbell, Dr. Michael Greger eating vegan pizza on the vegan cruise because these are the guys, some of the guys that I looked up to as being perfect and I was trying to live that lifestyle too almost in a way really to please them you know especially Campbell and Esselstyn who are both I think 83 now I wanted to be a guy in my mid-30s who could apply what I learned from them and be a living example of someone who's in their mid-30s and active and who can apply these science principles and still see all the athletic benefits that maybe you can't do when you're in your 70s or 80s. They're just not not possible um, to compete at that high level, perform at that high level. And so I felt that everything everything really had to be perfect. And like I had a camera following me around everywhere. And then it occurred to me back in the fall, months after we had our, our last podcast, I was out on tour in, in the UK. I was in London and I was answering questions like I always do on tour. So Robert, what do you eat for breakfast? You know, can you walk me through your day? And so I started, I just started going down the list like I always do. You know, like, what do you eat? Can you tell me what you eat? And on a whole day, you know, a small group gathers around at my exhibit booth to hear. <laughs> um, this is either before or after my presentation on stage. I don't recall. And I started saying, okay, well, oatmeal in the morning with berries and nuts and then for you know, fruit for snacks. And for lunch, I'm going to go with... And then I just kind of paused. I was like, wait a minute. That's not what I'm eating now. I mean, that's this idealistic, you know, and I was explaining why, you know, oats are about five, <laughs> almost 500 calories per pound and complex carbohydrates, slow releasing carbohydrates for energy, for lasting for hours. Then you get the high antioxidant content of the fruit that's in your oatmeal. And then you get the, uh, put walnuts in there, the only, uh, you know, significant source of omega-3 of, of any nut and that's in there and it also provides some great calories and a good quality fats as well and, and good source of protein and and I just caught myself and saying like what am, like Robert what are you doing like you're not you're not being authentic like this isn't what you're doing these days because I wasn't I was eating a, a whole bunch of Amy's brand burritos I would go through four in a day maybe a couple for breakfast I'd have my uh caffeine and sugar filled yerba mate tea in the morning uh, which i had this morning by the way mm -hmm. something i'm still trying to uh come to terms with like a certain con level of consumption of and drink more water instead but it just it just dawned on me 
that I wasn't in the shape that I wanted to be in. And I was making a lot of excuses that, yeah, I'd hurt my back and yeah, I had some things going on, but I wasn't eating the lifestyle that I, that I wrote about and that I got great people in the industry to endorse and believe in and believe that I was following. And I kind of lost my way. And as a result, I was the biggest and heaviest I'd ever been in my entire life. You never saw me during this, this phase, but I'd hurt because I'd hurt my back which kind of started this whole thing. I hurt my back in the spring and I was away from the gym for five months, but I was so determined to stay above 200 pounds because I'd worked so hard to get there that I was just eating in a way, without exercising, eating in a way that would keep me at 200 pounds or above. And I ballooned up to 210 pounds and I couldn't even fit into some size XL shirts. Um, I had to throw away boxers because the elastic had got stretched so much. I had to, you know, clothes weren't fitting anymore. And I'd never gone through that in my entire life. And I realized that I was going around telling people what I wanted them to hear about how I was living. And then I would make excuses. Oh, my back hurts. This is why I'm not in the shape that you're used to seeing me in photos. But it really had nothing to do with that. It was a clear re reflection on my food choices calorie intake, calorie density, lack of nutrient density. And I, so in the, so when I got home, I mean, within a week or two, when I called myself out for my, uh, in authenticity, I decided to hold myself accountable, make some changes. And that's when I documented every single thing that I was doing for five weeks, every calorie consumed, every ounce of liquid, every minute of exercise, even classified or categorized into weight training and cardiovascular training, every, even every minute of sleep. And I blogged about it. It was about 130 pages of information. But what happened was I went from about 210 pounds and 20 something percent body fat, pretty high, 25 to 30%, which I'd never experienced in my life, down to 196 pounds, was in great shape again felt better and I felt most importantly just more authentic and mm -hmm. true to myself. So there was, I don't know, there, there were some parameters there where I didn't want to have to hold myself accountable to being perfect, but also when I let myself stray too far, I, I totally lost my way and I wasn't even close to where I wanted to be health and fitness wise. So there's some sort of connection to being as as true to authenticity as you can to still make forward progress but without the stress of being completely perfect and i think that's something that i have been still wrestling with mm -hmm. and trying to deal with and clearly one of the reasons why my new book is still not done yet i want it to be as perfect as possible and you always want to make each one better than the previous one and move forward and it's why i still deal with some of that stress on the road with major presentations, major tours, how am I going to be perceived and what's the expectation of me? Like this upcoming trip, trip to China, it's a pretty big deal for me. I have very high expectations from what I've, from the communication that I've had with the organizations, at least that's how I perceive it. And that does cause me a lot of stress and anxiety. And even though I should be doing everything I can to get in the best shape possible before this trip, which is what they're expecting of me, it's actually slowed me down because the anxiety, I can't even get to the gym. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, I need, to, I need to rest more. I need to stay in bed. I just have to be, I just need to 
calm down. Um, and that slows me down. So I, there's a lot of, there's a lot of factors and facets to this conversation. And I don't know, and I don't know exactly what the solution is or what the best steps are necessarily, except for just articulating some of the thoughts and feelings that happen to you when you are in the public eye and have perceived expectations from an audience, whether those are true or not. Right. Whether the audience holds those to be true or not is, is, is the question. And, and I think if you can let go of that, which I'm still trying to do, then you can embrace it and make the best of it and realize that maybe you did meet all expectations after all and it's not a big deal. Yeah, I mean, this. so this is interesting for a couple of reasons. Um, and it's interesting to hear from, from you because you are way more like visible than most people, I think, even in this movement. Uh, because you do that stuff, right? You go out, you, you do a lot of social media. I kind of chose, like, I, I realized that I wasn't, Maybe maybe it was because of this. I kind of recognized that I didn't want that type of accountability on myself. I, I didn't want to be possibly being seen as not living up to standards, whatever. So like I've never kind of made that a big part of my thing. Like don't do a lot of talks, don't do a lot of VegFest anymore, don't do almost any social media about personal stuff uh, because I realized it was it was too stressful for me to, to to take pictures of my food and feel like I should put this up here. And then this is probably something a lot of people can can appreciate because they probably do the same thing everybody takes pictures of their food but anyone who's like really into health and that's their persona on facebook not just not just from a blog or a platform but just like on a personal level if that's your identity someone who eats healthily you probably don't put the pictures up of the nachos that you get that or, that or the vegan donuts or right what you I mean you you just you edit it too much it's right you, you censor yourself in a way that no longer authentic no longer true and maybe lead people astray thinking that you only live this super healthy, perfect lifestyle and then it's almost like a false role model. Right. Which is what, I mean, social media, even besides food pictures, is that, right? People, it's right. people Instagram, putting up stuff yeah. that will paint them in the light they want to be seen in, right? By that, That's kind of what it is, creating this little persona for yourself. When in fact, nobody really cares about it. They only care about their own thing on social media, I think. But anyway, different story. Um... What I'm wondering, Robert, is when you decided to start documenting all that stuff and you said, I'm going to write down everything, did that automatically improve what you were doing and make it easy to be close to perfect again? Or did it just kind of give you this freedom and feel okay now about writing down vegan donuts on there if you had? Like, did you still have vegan donuts or whatever your you know, yeah. junk food was? It, it was, well, for one, and this is what I, I talk about every day that I'm at a booth or every day I'm giving a lecture, every day I'm doing an interview or presentation. The thing that I say to everyone is that you will learn more about yourself than you ever thought when you document everything that you're doing. Most people have no idea how many calories they're consuming. They have no idea how many calories they're expending. One of my jokes is that, yeah, you know, we say I've been vegan for all these years, but the last time I had a salad was in February. You know, <laughs> It's been months and I haven't even had a salad, right? Not you. Not me, you necessarily, but or I had no idea that I eat X number of calories from vegan ice cream every single night, which I thought was only a really small portion of my total calorie intake, but because it's so calorie dense, it's actually a pretty significant part of it. Or I had no idea how much I love chocolate or how I never actually eat fruit or any subcategory of or classification of food. We learn a tremendous amount about ourselves and it actually, it, it absolutely helped me 
clean up my diet because I did not, I didn't want to write, have to write down publicly because I was sharing it. I was making weekly live updates and often some daily updates for social media. I don't want to have to write down four Amy's burritos in a day. I mean, this is, this is silly. This is uh, certain, probably not health conscious. It's not uh, responsible uh, financially to just buy these prepackaged frozen stuff all the time when there's bulk foods and there's fresh produce and there's all these things available. I, I didn't want to have to show that kind of stuff and therefore it caused me to develop new behaviors which turned into new habits. When I was drinking bottles of, of yerba mate tea a day and I like the sweetened ones which have I think something like 30 grams of sugar in each bottle, maybe 16 grams per serving, two servings in a bottle, I cut it down to I would write six ounces. I would only drink a little bit of it. Mm-hmm. You know, Instead of doing bottles a day and I live out in warm, sunny, hot Arizona – I, I would limit myself and I would go, I would, and also, Matt, this is kind of cool. I started every single day with, with these just very specific habits. I would drink water before I did anything else. I would just start my day drinking water. I would just start that day because I'm someone who doesn't drink a lot of water. How do I know? Because it's documented. I live in Arizona and I had 29 ounces for the whole day, 18 ounces for the whole day. You mm-hmm. know, I mean, maybe add a little more with teas or whatever, but. So I would start with specific habits and I also started, uh, this is my own concept, no processed foods un- until afternoon just to make sure I would start my day off on the right foot. Where before I would just wake up kind of groggy from staying up, working late nights, running my online business till two in the morning and just throw in a couple of burritos at 320 calories each, a lot of that in the tortilla, hundreds of grams of sodium in each burrito and I would start my day that way and just play catch up the rest of the day. But with this, this entire month of absolutely transparent documentation, every day started with water, with fresh whole food, no processed stuff until later in the afternoon, if, if at all, if I was going to do it at all, and then I would continue on. Also, when I give all my presentations, what do I talk about? I talk about getting into efficient fat burning zone. So get in there and do cardiovascular training or high intensity interval training on an empty stomach for 25 minutes first thing in the morning. I hadn't done that in a year. And here I was saying, oh, I'm 210 pounds. You know, I'm not, I don't, I don't feel as fit as I should be. I wasn't doing the things that I write about that are proven to give results. I just wasn't consistent at all. This project, enabled me to be completely consistent. I would wake up, drink water, get on, get on the Stairmaster, come back home, do some work stuff, go back to the gym later on. And I was, you know, and I had, I had the right fuel, right hydration, the right energy to make that work throughout the day. And, and I found that, wow, I was eating, I tracked obviously all my calories consumed and expended and I was eating almost exactly. I mean, some was, sometimes it was, off by seven calories. I would consume 2,910 and and burn 2,903 or whatever in a day. But there were days, unexpected things happen. Friends would come into town, say, hey, we're going out and treat our friends to vegan pizza tonight. Those days, 4,000 calories consumed. And guess what? I did this during November. Vegan thing, you know, Thanksgiving came around. I had multiple days in a week in fact, almost an entire week, leftovers and everything, of 4,000 calories a day. But yet I wasn't expending as much because I had family over, relatives over, I'm hanging out with my nephew, I'm doing this stuff. This is what projects onto the real world how our body responds to what we do to it. 
but we're just not aware of it. We just say, you know, oh, I, I eat pretty well or I exercise pretty often. But even me, someone who's written books about this and who was a competitive bodybuilder for 10 years, competitive runner for 10 years, still fell off and was unaware of what I was doing. This documentation thing changed everything. And, uh, and it just made me make smarter decisions. And I had byproducts or outcomes or consequences that reflected my actions. And it was, it was awesome to see that this is what I'm doing right and these are days that I'm doing things terribly wrong. And, and being aware of that day by day or even hour by hour to tweak it to try to become best version of myself. And, and it was incredibly helpful. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, you know, Matt and I have talked a lot about um, the values like for runners to keep a training log, a detailed training log and, and, you know, whether taking note of every single run and every single workout and what was helping and what wasn't. And that's just a really good way to evaluate what you're doing. Um, and what, and I, and I kind of want to talk about how you used, uh, you made yours public and, and maybe how there was some uh, value in that too. Uh, but first, I think we should pause to thank our sponsors real quick. All right, Matt, I want to I want to give you a quiz. I want you to take a quiz. All right, Doug. Yes or no answers only. You got it. Do you believe that running will help you live longer? Yes, I do. Do you believe that yoga will help you live longer? Yes, I do. How about eating vegan? Definitely. Smoking? No, smoking will help you will help you live less. Okay, and how about using a stand-up desk? Uh, yes, uh, that will probably help you live longer as well. Okay, all right, all right, good. So I think you and I agree on everything. I, I would give you an A-plus for that. You got all of them right, I would say. But, you know, I wouldn't listen to either you or me because what really matters is that Health IQ agrees with all of your answers as well. They unapologetically advocate directly for health-conscious people to receive financial rewards when it comes to life insurance for all those healthy things that you're already doing to live a healthy life. Well, that's interesting, Doug. Research has shown that people who actively exercise have 22% lower cancer risk, 50% lower heart risk, and 34% lower risk of early death. So if you lift weights, swim, run, do yoga, or get an A-plus on that quiz, you can be rewarded for <laughs> these activities. Head over to healthiq.com slash meat. That's one word to learn more on all sorts of ways you can save money on life insurance. That's healthiq.com slash no meat. Okay, so this is running related and not necessarily uh, related to bodybuilding or, or nutrition or anything like that. But, you know, one thing that's really popular right now is, is Strava, which is a training log tool online that's social media focused too. You can like and comment on each other's runs and everything like that. But you know, for most people, when they uh, if they wear a GPS watch, you know, as soon as you plug it in, it uploads to Strava, and so it's it's making all of your runs public and all of your workouts public, including your splits and uh, all that stuff. And it's it's an incredibly popular tool for runners. Um, and I think that there's some value in be, because that's public, you can't really hide behind a slow day or um, or missed workouts. You know, everyone can see how consistent or inconsistent you actually are. Uh, and there's there's kind of some added pressure to make sure that you're you're doing what you're what you set out to do what you the image of yourself that you want to put out into the world. But I also think that that holds people back. And going back to the first part of this conversation of um, 
you know, of, of just never even starting and, and kind of using that as an excuse to, to not even, not even get started. If, if you're missing too many days, there's also that kind of, well, maybe I should just quit, you know, or, or maybe I shouldn't have, uh, started training for this marathon at all. So you, you put your stuff out into the world. You wanted, you know, with this project, you, you made it clear, uh, that you were posting everything you ate and everyone could see that. And that helped you kind of get back on track. But for your average person, would you say that it's better to make it public or do you think people will have, you know, that will end up holding the back and they should just keep it private? I was yeah. going to ask this exact same thing or really similar, <laughs> thinking that like this, like it, I'm wondering, because there are kind of two things going on here. There's the tracking of information and the holding yourself accountable. And then there's the, I'm going to put this in public side of it. Right. Well, let me, well, let me explain then. So I did it, I did it for multiple reasons. It wasn't just one reason. I just thought of it one day in the sauna when I was just kind of frustrated with myself after this trip to London. I just I I, I caught myself like basically lying to people about what I was really doing. I was just trying to paint myself as what I do in an ideal world as a shredded author, and, and but it wasn't what I was really doing. And so I just said I decided you know what I just thought of it one day and I just posted it just on a Facebook page that. Um, because I, I thought the idea because I get this, this question all the time as a as someone who's been a vegan athlete for more than 20 years, would people be interested in learning what a longtime vegan athlete eats on a regular basis? I thought that'd be intriguing. And I also thought that would hold me accountable to put my best foot forward. And so I simply asked the question, if I were to document every single thing that I eat and every exercise I do for an entire month, would you be interested? And it was probably the most popular question I've ever asked in my entire life on social media. I mean, thousands of people, I mean, literally thousands, uh, subscribed to our newsletter just to get that information because I was I sent out a weekly newsletter recap. So part of it was to truly share. I mean, I was writing a new book and guess what? When I went to that injury and that phase of I was just getting really heavy and, and a little bit depressed and out of shape and I'd never really been depressed before but I, I, I was hurt. I could barely put my shoes on. I could barely tie my shoes. Couldn't even pick up our 10-pound dog. I couldn't exercise and I, and I was frustrated. So I ate as much vegan mac and cheese as I wanted. And, uh, and so I, I, I wanted to create something that would help me better myself while also showing transparently that when I am at my best, what I'm, what I'm really doing. And what I also did was I didn't just record it. I had a blog post, a paragraph or two every single day. I wrote about what I was feeling or what I accomplished or what I was frustrated in or what I really enjoyed or I was, I would criticize myself for making a bad decision or I would praise myself for sticking with something. And I just made it, it was just a conversation with me to myself and anyone who was listening. And the benefit of making it public in that, in that way was obviously holding myself accountable and we saw all the we, there, I mean, absolutely measurable cha changes. Also, I forgot to say, I, I measured body weight, body fat, blood pressure, all these different things. And I posted photos of all those things, you know, all these results. Uh, but I received feedback because you could, you could leave comments on the blog. And people, just the layperson, someone just random reader, would mm -hmm. ask a question that I had overlooked. Mm -hmm. or, or, or they, I mean, even Chef AJ actually was, we talked about this, I was on her podcast. And I sent her the file and she's like, Robert, great stuff. But I noticed you really don't eat very many vegetables, especially leafy green vegetables. And I said, you're right. I, I, I love fruit and I love rice and beans 
and that kind of stuff. And it's all healthy stuff. But I was completely missing, even when I was trying to be perfect for the audience to see, well, I'd go out of my way. Let me go shop just for this item because I know the audience is going to love it. Like, look at me go. But I wasn't eating those things. I just couldn't fit them in during the day. I just kept putting it off. You know what? I'll, put, I'll have some greens for dinner, but then, of course, I wouldn't. So maybe on Tuesday I will. And then I didn't that day either. Okay, Wednesday rolls around. I'm for sure going to eat that bag of greens I got. Oh, oops, it's already gone bad. I throw it away and now I'm not going to go buy more because I may not eat them. I'm just going to focus more on all these berries that are in season and on sale and, and get the diversity of fruit in there. And then other people asked. Other people said made comments too like, well, Robert, I noticed um, you eat a lot of calories late at night. I mean, you have meals at 11 p.m., midnight, 1 a.m. You're still recording? Because I couldn't hide. I had to write it. If I went to go run... To the kitchen and grab a handful of almonds at 1:07 a.m. I wrote it down. If I had if I had um, three tangerines before bed, 1:34 a.m. I wrote it down. If I had two burritos at 12:30 in the morning, which I did sometimes because I didn't get done to the gym until after 11, I wrote it down. And people people notice that and like Robert, you're really focusing on burning fat and getting back into the shape that you once were. Yet I realize you're eating. 500 calories of burritos at midnight is that good for us to do like should we be following this like people were asking questions like i see robert you're doing it is that okay to me that that would add extra body weight because you know you know that's how my body responds to carbohydrates or processed foods at, at late at night so it was really helpful and when people did criticize something you know there i am i'm this bodybuilder guy and i'm only using cables and machines no dumbbells and barbells because my back couldn't do it um it, it, it that was that was okay because i knew why i wasn't doing that and i would preface that often you know i had a great workout today you know all cables because that's all i can do right now but i still worked really hard and making progress so the publicity standpoint was was really helpful and whether you have a large following of thousands of people who are tuned in to, to read it every day or you just have your friends and family who might see it i i actually think it can be very very helpful not only to help keep you going and, and act as cheerleaders like i would get comments like man i love this thing this is the best content you have ever provided which guess what matt that became and doug that became one of the themes of this new book plant-based muscle i was only halfway through it at the time and I decided, you know what? People like the behind the scenes. What do you really eat on a daily basis? And if I can be honest with that, that's what I'm going to write about in this book because that's a question I get time and time again. And I'm going to actually do it truthfully this time. And so, I, I mean, I have grocery shopping receipts. I have everything that shows the good and the bad too. Mm-hmm. It shows my habits. Too much yerba mate tea. <laughs> too much um, uh, 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 fried rice from Trader Joe's. Whatever. And, and then how I moved away from those things. And I... But I tell those stories and it's helpful because if you only just put your best stuff out there and people just praise you, pat on the back, what does that do? It makes your self-esteem feel good, boost your ego. It doesn't help you better yourself. Mm-hmm. And in keeping it private, then it's like, oh, you know what? I had a burrito at one thirty in the morning. No one knows. <laughs> I, I, in fact, I don't even feel like writing it down or I'm going to write it down in a journal that no one's going to look at. I can do it, right? That's why I think being open about it it, it, it helped when people gave real feedback. And I stopped. I, I ate more greens. I stopped eating those heavy foods late at night. I made better decisions. Yeah. I, I, I'm I just trying to put myself in the situation and think, like, if I did this right now, what would happen? Not because I'm really considering, but, I, like, 
I think it wouldn't be a good decision for me to do that right now. Like I think it would, if if my goal right now is, you know, not care about personal significance, care less about what people think. And I don't think it's a big problem of mine. I don't care that much what people think. But like, if I'm working on it, totally getting even, you know, completely immune to that, not caring at all, then that type of thing is probably going to encourage the wrong type of thinking. My my every all decisions every time I eat something is going to be what will people think of this if I do this which could inspire someone to do really well with it but at the same time add in a bunch of this extra pressure stress feeling around food that just right now I wouldn't personally want in my life but I think if I think this is a really interesting thing compared to what we were talking about earlier about shipping your work and like actually putting stuff out there instead of saying I'm going to wait till this is perfect before I make it put it into the world um Starting something like this with with it doesn't have to be around food, it could be around whatever you're trying to do or want to do, uh, that you're trying to make become your work in the world. If you if you can begin with this attitude of that isn't I'm going to show everyone how perfect I can be, but instead is I'm going to embrace this total authenticity, embracing the things that aren't very good, like the rough edges, and I'm going to just make all that clear. So that people who start following this, or so that I, as someone who's doing this, can start to see the improvements and appreciate those those improvements. But there's never an expectation of this needs to be perfect from the beginning. I think that's a really powerful, I think that's a good attitude to have. This thing that says, I'm going to be totally honest and just start, and kind of like iterating from this first version, which isn't very good, and, and over time, you know, with a commitment to stick with it every day, whatever it is, uh, that you start to see it improve over time. I think that's a really valuable thing people can do what if i can provide some quick feedback too i don't uh, with you with your comment regards to you not being comfortable doing that it may not it may not help you but you're you're constantly thinking what do people think about the food choices i make if i can share from experience that goes away after a week or so because it, the whole idea behind it matt as i see it is to develop new habits Mm-hmm. And once you do a week of this documentation, tracking things, making the best decisions, you're, you're showing people, you know, a really good effort. These food decisions become second nature. You, I don't have to think, oh, I've really got to eat this because my, my audience, which maybe half have tuned out by now, I'm not worried what they think after a while. I'm thinking, man, I want to just keep getting better mm-hmm. and better. And I'm looking at my exercise routine and I'm looking at my calories expended and I'm looking at my calories consumed and I'm identifying ways to... Um, to make these match up in, in relation to help me burn more fat or build more muscle. And I don't, I don't think about that anymore about what the audience might think after about a week or so. And you know what I did also, which I think is helpful. And it's again, eye opening and transparent is that after I stopped posting publicly, I posted publicly for four weeks, entire month. I documented for another uh, eight days I plan to do longer, but it's just a tremendous amount of work, which I, I, I meant to clarify a little more too. I mean, it's a tremendous amount of work to, to, to document all this stuff, even using a system. But I decided what would happen if I stopped showing people for a week? Would my behaviors change? Would it be like, oh, great, I can finally go back to eating this? And it wasn't necessarily. I, I, kept, I kept on. I kept keeping on because I knew there were some inherent benefits to it, health and fitness related. And I knew I wanted to develop I wanted to develop real habits that would stick. And many of those have continued to stick today. I admit it's been six months now. Some have fallen off, like the starting my day with drinking water and doing the fasted cardio first thing in the morning. I've had 
I'm on tour seven out of eight weekends in a row and got a new book coming out. Life got busier and I changed priorities, I guess. But that's a reminder that I've been able to do it and I did it during a busy time and I can do it again and I can at least incorporate more attributes of that approach that were super beneficial. And like I said, there are still some that I continue to do on a regular basis, including one of my favorite expressions I often say too when I give presentations is when you go into a store to purchase anything food related, ask the question, what will this do for me? I mean, sometimes we just, oh, I'm hungry. I just want like this bag of chips, you know, it's salt, sugar, whatever. It's comforting. But asking that question, what will this do for me? And is this a good return on investment? You know, we all work hard for our money. We all want to get the best out of it. When we buy food, is this a good, responsible decision or can I do something better? And I, I, st I still do that. And I try to make good quality choices. And it, and it stemmed from just being totally open about it. Mm -hmm. So for me, I, I, I don't know that that, that fear will um, play out in reality. It kind of goes away after a while. Mm -hmm. So. So some, maybe, maybe, maybe to consider uh, trying it sometime. We can compare notes. <laughs> maybe. There we go. Doug, uh, is your, is your Strava feed, is, is it lit up again with runs or are you still, are you still off? No, it's, uh, it is looking pretty, pretty, pretty poor right now. Yeah. <laughs> are you worried about what people think about that? Well, a little bit because, uh, so I have started running again. Um, What's since... the URL again? I'm going to look it up. Yeah. Well, we even run like two weeks. Dude. Yeah, I know. It's, Dude. It's bad. Hit refresh here. No. And, and, you know, and now the, the past week or the past week or so of runs have all been really short and been with the stroller. So they just, uh, they look really slow and really look really, uh, do you put with the stroller on there real big? Sometimes, sure you, and, you know, so, yeah, exactly. You know, and sometimes I feel like I have to do that to like justify. Yeah. That's funny. Why do we care about that? Yeah. No, no, no. I don't know. <laughs> but, but we do. Yeah. <laughs> you know well, we talked about that yesterday too a little bit i mean a little bit off topic but justifying things and 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 explaining all of our actions and, and all that so um <laughs> Doug's, Doug's good we got the hand motions here he's saying we're done he said we gotta we gotta wrap it up yeah i know that's why i was talking really slowly i'm like what like he's doing charades <laughs> over here i mean i saw that clown yesterday the Asheville vegetable was that him was that doug he was <laughs> I didn't put on the clown. magic show i saw no clowns yesterday oh there were a lot of clowns there really? trust me <laughs> it's a veg fest you can't get away from clowns all right we should wrap it up uh as a little treat an easter egg for those who uh have stuck with us with this episode can we do the first uh the first new segment of downward facing doug Sure, let's Are do it. Are ready for that? I guess so. It might be a little disappointing. I don't know. I'm, I feel a lot of pressure for it since it's the first run. Well. Why don't well, we explain to explain to the audience what it so is? So what I think Downward Facing Doug should be, last episode or two episodes ago, we uh, we said we're doing a new segment, and it's going to be called Downward Facing Doug, but we didn't know what it would be about. I just thought it was a great <laughs> name for a segment. So <laughs> That is a great name. I, I, I like that. I don't know if we got any. We asked for audience feedback on Twitter. I don't know if we got any. Uh, for what downward facing Doug should be, but I think it should just be Doug telling us what he's down on because I think we have a lot of a fair amount of positivity on this episode. It'd be nice to have that balance out with a little bit of things that something Doug is down on. Yeah. So Doug, what are you what are you down on? It's well, time for you downward facing down on, Doug. This 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 uh, almost became a a long rant yesterday on, on facebook I, I even started writing it and then decided not to. Must be Trump related thing, right? No, no, it wasn't. Okay. It wasn't politics related. It's a. Uh, it's whoever invented, whoever thought it was a good idea to put buttons uh, in the fly of a of pants has never worn pants before. 
<laughs> instead of I a like zipper, where this is going. Instead of a zipper, using uh, putting buttons in, like they make jeans like that. And my favorite pair of shorts, like the the pair that I like to wear the most, that uh, fit me well, and, and I like the way they look. They have yeah. buttons, and it's huge pain in the butt to, <laughs> to go to the bathroom. It takes forever to uh, you know you can't just like unzip and yeah make it happen. You got to unbutton everything. And I was at a rest stop. We were we were driving home from Atlanta, and I was at a rest stop, and I was like having to do all these. Un- these buttons and i was like this is ridiculous i'm not gonna i'm gonna burn these pants even though they're my favorite pair. there you go so that's what i'm down uh, you know on. i th- i only want to think of one pair of button fly jeans ever i wasn't down on them but now that i think about it it was kind of annoying yeah. was that was that maybe the 80s or early I think, 90s see, that's when i remember them coming out i remember there being yeah. on tv for like levi's or whatever button fly jeans it was a big deal yeah, it sounds Which like a pretty big was deal. Just, it was probably a throwback to the old days, I would imagine. Before zippers, they probably had button, right? Jeans came about in the gold rush era, I believe. Maybe like the, the the next step after overalls was like, oh, wow, you can take these off instead of being in a onesie. Yeah, I think probably that's what it was. And it was a good, sensible thing. It wasn't meant to be a fashion statement. And it probably had probably had a button fly instead of a yeah. zipper. Well, they still make it. I mean, this is a fairly new pair of Banana Republic shorts. And I would hit him up yeah, on Twitter. That's a, I'd hit him up on Twitter, all social media, and ask him. Doug's not afraid to call out companies on Twitter. Say, hey, he did I got a banana in my fly <laughs> and uh, it's getting stuck in the buttons. <laughs> there, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. that's it. So that's that's downward facing Doug. That's, I don't know if that's what you're expecting or not. I think over time, now that we know what it is, You'll start mm. to throwout the week. You'll start to say, "Hey, that's what I, that's going oh, down." Man, I'm done. feeling I'm feeling real yeah, down like, on that. Right you now. have like Plant Warrior One, uh, <laughs> Plant Warrior Two. You could have like like vegan uh, tree pose. You know, from the out in the forest, or you know, I don't know. There's there's a lot of things you can yes. do there. Plant a tree pose. Or we could just stick with downward facing dog. Yeah, you could, you could <laughs> do that. You could you could do that. That's a good place well, to start. I like it. And we got another segment in mind too, but we're gonna we're gonna hold off on that one until next time. That's right. We can't we can't drop too many segments. No, too all many right. segments. People would just they wouldn't know what to do. No. All right. Well, then I think we should wrap it up so as not to go too long because uh, people have been. You know what? A lot of people ask me recently for some reason what podcasts I listen to, and my answer is I don't listen to any podcasts anymore. I've stopped because they're all too long. I just can't just can't do it. Can't spend two hours listening to someone or something or whatever. You should listen to Trail Talk. I'm out on podcast. Yeah? Yeah. How, what are they, like 10 minutes each? Uh, 10 to 20. Cool. Quick tips. Okay. Who does it? What, what is that podcast? Is that, <laughs> I've never heard of that one. Oh, yeah. No, yeah. <laughs> that's that's my other podcast, Matt. That's, uh, ah, okay. Rock Your Ground well, or Trail Talk. That's a good talk. chance to promote it. There you yeah, go. There trail you go. Talk. Go check, go it check out. that out. Maybe I'll do that. For now, though, I'm out on podcasts. They're too long. Although I did hear a really uh, interesting one on the Sam Harris podcast. Tristan Harris was on there. Oh, yeah? Uh, very fascinating topic about how it's basically 50, uh, you know, 21 to 30-year-olds in Silicon Valley who dictate how a billion people use social media yeah. about why we are addicted to checking notifications and how it's like a slot machine mm-hmm. and why when you refresh notifications, you go to your Twitter page, there's like a one and a half second delay that gets you dopamine rush of anticipation. It's like pulling a slot machine and you're just waiting to hear what kind of positive feedback you get. How many likes did I get? Yep. How many ads did yep. I get? And it, actually very, very fascinating uh, why we um, why we check our smartphones um, 2,600 times a day, uh, 150 times an hour for waking hours. It's Anyway, 
Pretty interesting yeah, stuff. That is interesting. Is that the number? That that the average number? Yeah. Times away an hour. Yeah. I mean that's that's you know pressing a button and looking you know yeah, which yeah. we we might do. I might even do six times while at, while at a red light. I mean it's it's silly, but we get mm-hmm. unless we're consciously aware of not doing that, we'll do it. It's just statistics. It's surveys. That's data. That's, you know what that's my how average we times I check my phone is. Yeah, your phone's not smart. Zero. <laughs> yeah, I check it when I get a text. You know what I like about your phone, Matt? That it's a slide-out keyboard. Well, I like I like that about <laughs> it. it. And it also is made the same time as those button-up jeans in the eighties. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> I think I think the reason why you don't get rid of that phone is because after about ten minutes of talking to someone, it starts dropping out. you out. It yep. starts cutting you out. out, and so it's like your way of ending phone calls without the awkwardness that, of ending that is, phone That's exactly. What it's it is. it's incredibly annoying every time we have a phone <laughs> meeting and I can't it. hear you. But uh, <laughs> but I think you know that's what, why. And you that, that it actually do, that is why I have it not for calls, but it just is a it just prevents me from it just limits what I can do as far as getting involved in conversations and distractions and things, and it's annoying and I get it like people like you said it's it is annoying for other people and it's annoying when I go anywhere with anyone because I rely on them for their smartphone I say like well we got to use your phone for the map to whatever <laughs> or we got to use like can I check whatever on your phone real quick if we need something so i rely totally on other people which i get is totally annoying and me being a burden uh but i think it has worked tremendously well <laughs> in keeping me like not a, not well and, and on the flip side I'm people are whether they admit it or not because we're just most of us aren't transparent or honest about what we actually do we're 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 so addicted to our smartphones uh i mean i saw a sign recently i think it's probably a more of a joke meme but it's a, a crosswalk photo of people looking down at their phones it's like a yield you know watch for pedestrians <laughs> look, staring at the phones <laughs> as they cross the street to because this is the reality that's what people do yeah i wonder that sam harris thing you mentioned i saw a there was a website that i went to i don't i wish i could remember the name but it was this basically call for businesses particularly tech businesses to stop that and almost like a petition type situation and it had a kind of a well-done video about how much people were kind of just like screwing with our brains and like making us addicted like a slot machine and it was this call for businesses to stop doing that and let's be responsible and all this. not that it's going to do that because it's just too profitable not to right but uh i found that to be sort of an interesting thing how long was that podcast episode by the way uh probably about an hour and a half or so but it, but it was good it was it was very good i'm out and he's recently <laughs> tristan harris has been on 60 minutes and bill maher and all these shows after that came out because he's trying to change the way uh, Silicon Valley does take yeah. advantage of, uh, I mean, over a billion people, how they, how we uh, choose to view the world through our phone and mm-hmm. how we make our purchases, how we decide what makes our self-esteem feel good by how many likes we get, all that kind mm-hmm. of stuff. Important stuff, but it's... I'm out. Too long. <laughs> well, we're we're over an hour minutes. now. Yeah, we got to stop. Yeah, we stop yeah this we're now over now. All right, cut it off before we get too long. All right, thanks for having me. Yeah, Thank thanks, you, Robert. Robert. Appreciate it. Good to be here in it's, studio. Absolutely. Yeah, that's right. It's fancy, right? It sure is. I'm at at the edge of the table. Hope you can hear me. (laughs) Way over here. All right, cool. Thanks for listening, everyone. We will check in next week. All right. Bye. Peace out.